for that worship tonight um, on behalf of myself, my wife, um, Pastor Joy, Pastor Seth, <laughs> and Joy. We are so, man, elated and thankful for all those that participated uh, in that appreciation. There have been some dark pastoral days. Uh, there has been some long hours. Uh, and even now, as I talk to pastors, one of the questions that I get is, how are you doing and how's the church? And with half of our church here and half of our church online, it's, it's, it's hard for pastors, believe it or not. Um, man, we, we love you, and I'm just convinced that I get to serve some of the greatest people I've ever met in my life. You, are, you guys are an immense blessing to me and to my family. And so we say thank you guys for that, okay? Amen. I want to welcome our online community. Everybody say, hey, Facebook. Just want to say what's up to you guys. Thank you for dialing in, logging on today. Um, we have been in a series called Rebuild, or, uh, yeah, Rebuild, um, and just talking about how God's rebuilding our life. We've been asking you to get, um, am I okay on sound or do I need to switch? I'm okay. Okay. Um, we've been asking God, man, how is he calling us to rebuild certain areas of our lives? Uh, and whether that's home, personal, ministry, uh, walk with Jesus, whatever that is, um, we've been asking God to just how is he calling us into rebuilding. I want to pause this week, and I want to talk about just where we find ourselves in our political culture and landscape. Uh, and if someone's wondering, man, why not just keep working through the series? Why stop? Why address that? It's because we as a church are being discipled. And either you're going to be discipled by CNN, Fox News, NBC, or you will be being discipled by God and his word. Okay? And I want to give an opportunity for you to see this political landscape that we're in through the lenses of Jesus. Okay? Now, I understand this is a divided topic. It's a divided topic for our church. We are not a uh, church that all thinks the same politically. And if I'm honest, I don't know if I want to be a part of a church that thinks the same politically, where it is assumed how people would vote where pastors would make suggestions as if everybody's voting Republican or Democrat. I'm glad that I'm not in that kind of church because when we look at Revelation chapter 7, what we see is a diverse group of people from every nation, from every kindred, from every tongue that don't think the same, their cultures are not the same. And yet, because of their commitment to Jesus, you see a, a, a group of people that would normally be on the left or in the right or in the center coming together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so I want to do something as we get ready to look at our text today. I want us to understand that one of the commitments of our church is to address issues head on as they arise in our culture. If you've been tracking with us for 2020, we've been doing this. When a pandemic comes out, we walk through Philippians, and we ask God, how are you calling us to cultivate everyday joy? 
when the issues of injustice raided our society and, and just what's happening in our culture, we did, a top, we did a series called Biblical Justice and trying to go back to the Word of God to find out what God says about justice. And even as we're trying to regather our lives and, and turn the corner, we've been in this series on rebuild from Nehemiah, just seeing how God is calling us to rebuild. So this has been a year where we've just been addressing things head on, and we want to continue to do that faithfully, uh, even in this sermon today. This is a one-shot sermon. It's not a series. I'm going to say my piece. I'm going to sit down. Um, and I understand this is contentious. So to help us with that, uh, I want to do this illustration. I'm going to have our connection team um, pass out this rope. And I want all of us to find a way to get a piece of this rope. Now, this is going to be weird, but here's a powerful thing of illustrations. You're probably not going to forget it, okay? Most of y'all are going to remember this rope more than the things I say today. So hopefully uh, that works and that helps. While they're doing that, my wife and I, uh, for her birthday, I took her horseback riding, and we went horseback riding on these huge animals. And one of the things they tell you when you're horseback riding is, whatever you do, don't let go of the rope. And I, you know, to me, it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll hold the rope. But oftentimes, I find myself as I'm trying to get on this horse, just dropping the rope, like not holding on to it. And the guy said, as long as you're on this animal, you have to hold on to the rope because the rope is your control. When you want to go left or right or you want him to go faster, you want him to stop, all of that is controlled with this single rope, beloved, as Christians. In such of a volatile voting season, hold on to the rope. Don't let go of the rope. And I'm calling this, this sermon the voting rope. The voting rope rope. Let's read from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Look at God's word with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, I urge you, listen to Paul's energy here, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Look at verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Right now, I thought you were talking about politics. I am. Listen to verse 3 again. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I want to talk from <laughs> that rope is something else. <laughs> I want to talk from the subject of the voting rope. Number one, God is king. Number two, the Bible and the ballot. And number three, November 4th. Number one, God is king. Number two, the Bible and the ballot. Number, uh, number three, uh, November 4th. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, above all, in your great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, one of the things you argued for 
she said, Lord, would you make them one? Would you make them one, Lord? Unity matters to you. Not superficial unity, not, not, not cloaking ourselves as someone else so we can, quote, unquote, get along, but real substantive transformative unity you want in your church and would your church be this sacred place tonight where the body of Christ comes under your lordship and unites even as our country is polarized politically father we pray for your lordship um, we pray that you'll be in me speak through me as I as I share in Jesus name amen we're going to get this rope done eventually, I promise. Just, just sit tight. Point number one, God is king. I think Kanye was right naming his album that uh, because it is true. And I need to tell you this. Some may say, Rodney, you don't need to remind us of that. We know that. But I think you need to be reminded as you are inundated or if you're one who say, I'm not inundated with all that stuff. Rodney, I'll be paying attention to that stuff. Rodney, I tune that stuff out. Wherever you are in the spectrum of your political engagement, I need to remind you, God is king. Did you hear me this morning? God is king. And if God is playing a minor key in your musical of politics and not a major key politically for you, then your music is off. It sounds horrible. God is king. Christ reigns supreme. So functionally and biblically, this nation is not so much marked by a democracy, but it's marked by a monarchy, because I'm going to say it again, because we need to hear it again. Christ is king. Uh, don't make me work this hard tonight. I'm going to say it one more time. This is not debatable. <laughs> This is not up for discussion. This is not something you vote about. Your preference is really insignificant in the statement that I'm making. God is king. This needs to be absolute in our churches. This needs to reign supreme in our churches. There is no running for kingship when it comes to Christ. Christ reigns alone and he reigns supreme. There is no contention and there is no competition. Christ is king. Thankful for the Declaration of Independence, when it says things like we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equally, they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm thankful for that language and that document, but before they ever penned that in this nation, there was already something that's been that speaks to our Imago day and the dignity and worth that we have as people. Why? Because God is king. So all goodness comes through Christ. All righteousness comes through Christ. All things that we aspire to and hope for comes through Christ. So thank God for the Constitution, but there's already been a Constitution written in God's Word because God is king, because God is king you're waiting for me to preach, you're missing it. If I sat down after this, I would have covered politics because God is king. Thank you, Lord. And whether you subscribe to that, acknowledge that, admit that, it doesn't change the fact that he's king and one day you will. 
And we as believers who have been washed in his blood and have, and have surrendered our life to his lordship, we belong to his kingdom. For us that have repented of sins and put trust in him, we are citizens of his kingdom, and we operate by his kingdom ethics. So before you lose your mind in this election, before you get like me on last Thursday, looking at this thing called a debate and wondering, what? How did they make it, this is my question, this far? Before you get there, I want you to, to understand that our kingship it's not to a party or a candidate. Our kingship is to Christ, our king. And one of the things we have as believers that's an advantage is we know how this election ends. Now, I'm not talking about the, the Christians that come on TV and says, the Lord gave me a word, I know who's winning. I mean, I saw that just perusing TV this week, and I'm thinking, okay, this guy says he knows who's winning. And I'm just, man, I'm, man November 4th, I'm going to be watching because I'm going to send an email. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Here's what we as believers know. In the end, Christians win. In the end, because we worship and serve the king, that, that God is working things out for our good. Here's, we, here's what we know. November 4th, he's not vacating his throne. He's not being pushed in office or put into office. At the end of the day, we know God is working things out for our good, and he promises to prepare a place for us, and that he promises to make all things new. Look at Revelations 21, 1 through 6. Listen to what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice, a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God, God's dwelling place is now amongst his people, and he, God, will dwell with them. They will be his people, not in his party, but will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And he'll wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. Then look at verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Listen to them again from verse 5. I am making everything new. This is where Gospel Fellowship gets its mantra. Joining Christ in the renewal of all things. On November 4th, that would need to be our mantra whatever happens. We are joining Christ in the renewal of all things because we understand he is at work redeeming people to himself, fixing and improving our lives, strengthening us, convicting us, transforming us, conforming us to his image in our communities, in our family, in our children, in our school. He's making all things new, watch this, including the government including the government. So we, as the people of God, engage in government. Why? Because he's called us to be active citizens in this world. So we engage in government. We engage politically. 
and we engage in voting because government is God's idea. One of the unique things about being in America is you live in, uh, in terms of just, you know, America and our, and our government, we live in a democracy, which means ruled by the people. So it's the people of God living in a democracy, being active in our communities, we are joining him in the renewal of all things, so why wouldn't Christians vote? Christians should be active. Now, I see y'all, if that rope is, is, is a little tough, you can tuck it under something, or you don't have to, you know, it could just be with you or by you or something, okay, y'all? I don't want that, okay. Let's look at Romans 13, verses 1 through 2. It says this, Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God. The authority that exists are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's commands, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Here's what I need you to understand as we think through politics and we think through government. Government is a God-ordained institution for the purposes of promoting good or human flourishing and re restraining evil. Hear this. Government is God's idea. Okay? So we're not seeking to overthrow something that God has ordained. Government is God's idea. Followers of Jesus should be submissive citizens to government with our ultimate allegiance being to God. Did you see that? So we are submitting to government, but our ultimate allegiance is to God. And God's people should seek to hold government accountable when they see wicked behavior. Well, Rodney, where did, where did you get that from? How do you see people holding government accountable? Look at Moses. When Egypt was oppressing God's people, Moses stood up to the government of Pharaoh in Egypt and challenged the corrupt leadership and the oppression of the poor. Or look at Daniel, who says to King Nebuchadnezzar, break off your sin from, uh, by practicing righteousness and your iniquity by showing mercy to the oppressed. Daniel stands up to government when he sees wickedness and oppression. Next week, we'll go back to Nehemiah. We'll see how Nehemiah challenges the governmental system that is oppressing the poor and, and treating the poor wrong as it relates to money and finance. So because we live in a democracy, we engage so here's the question. So how do we use our vote, Rodney, as a matter of faithfulness before God and the opportunity to love our neighbor well? I want to encourage you to vote. If you have not voted, vote, particularly for minorities that are in the room. The 1965 Civil Rights Act and everything that went into giving minorities the right to vote what your forefathers and ancestors did to provide that right, you should vote. Okay, cool. Rodney, I'm, I'm with you. I'm tracking with you. question is, how do I vote? Glad you asked. When we started the church six years ago, one of the things I said to uh, at Cross Point Elementary was, you're not going to hear me stand from this pulpit and try to sway your vote or try to get you to vote a certain way. You're not going to see politicians get on this pulpit and try to advocate their position to you. You're not going to see that from Gospel Fellowship. I said that then and I meant it. What I want us to be, hear me, GF, 
is people of the book. I've been driving that to you when there's race, racism going on in our country. I want us to be people of the book. When there's a pandemic and we don't know how to function, I want us to be people of the book. If you came to me and you're having marriage challenges in your marriage, I'm going to drive you to the book. If you're telling me you're having issues in your career, I'm going to drive you to the book. Nothing has changed. I want GF to be a people that when we think politically, we're thinking biblically. Amen. So as we work through issues, we are going to the book. Now, one of the dangers that I've seen happen in our culture is when we make these kinds of statements. Have you ever heard them? How can a Christian vote for blank? Raise your hand if you've heard that. How can a Christian vote for blank? And this is happening all across our nation. There are some notable, notable pastors and theologians in this last election cycle has said, you, if you're going to be a Christian, no, no, no true Christian would vote for blank. They would vote for blank. And here's what I want to I argue in this, in this sermon, and I want to remember and remind you of the rope that you're holding, because what that rope is going to signify for us is even when we're having challenges agreeing politically, we still hold on to the unity that we have in Jesus. You are my brother, you are my sister, whether you are Democratic or Republican or Independent or abstaining from the voting process because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and us being adopted into his family, not because my political agenda was correct. I was a sinner deemed for hell, but God, who was rich in mercy, extended his love and compassion to me. I want us to be reminded that we're together in this. Now let's go into it. Here's the issue. No party, Republican or Democrat, fully aligns with God's biblical agenda. No party. God doesn't have a party that reflects him. If he did, he would call it the church of Jesus Christ. It, that, that's on us. It's, it's, it's our job to be representatives of, of Christ on the earth. It's not a political party's job. So no political party owns that, that, that power to say, I'm God's party. I know you've seen signs, and I know you've seen t-shirts, and I know you've seen stuff on news. But I'm saying to you, beloved, and I'm going to show you, there's no party that fully embraces God's biblical kingdom agenda for this world. So when we say, how can a Christian vote for blank? Now, there's a whole, not, whole lot of adjectives we can add to that. I can add, how can a white person vote for blank? I can add that. That's a question. How can a black person vote for blank? You say that. How can a person that is wealthy and has a lot of money vote for blank if it's going to affect their economic uh, prosperity? How can a poor person vote for blank? Because here's what we are assuming. We are assuming that one party has all the answers for one group of people, and those things just simply are not true. But particularly our focus that we're dialing into today is how can a Christian vote for blank? 
this, this question presumes that one candidate or one party fully has the Christian perspective on what the issues are and what it's based on. So there are some things. My job is to preach. My, 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 my job is to be a pastor and to show you what God's Word said. And I'm going to do that faithfully. There are some things as we consider voting that are very, very clear. And I want us to remember that. There's some things, biblically, that just aren't up for debate. So whether you find yourself on left, right, center, independent, abstaining, it doesn't matter. God's word is clear, and he has spoken, and he didn't stutter. I'm going to point out what, what Tim Keller echoes in one of his articles that he wrote about these, the, the big four issues that Christians often grapple with as they consider voting. We're going to look through them very quickly. The, the, the first issue, and, and you can probably answer it before I say it, is abortion. Let's be very, very clear. God's word is clear as it relates to how God feels about abortion. Here's how God feels about abortion. He hates it. He's against it. We see this in the Ten Commandments. He says, thou shalt not murder. That's what abortion is. Psalms 139, he speaks about how he crafts children in, in, in the mother's womb. He says to the prophet, before I knew you, I predestined you while you were still in your mother's womb. God's word is clear. There is no debate. He hates abortion. So as we are thinking about voting, that's one of the things we should be thinking about. And for some of you, as I'm saying this, some of y'all are going to want to say, yeah, but you're like, oh, if I say that, you know, um, just, just hold the rope and we're going to ride together. Because some of you, there are, as you look at those four, you're like, yes, yes, okay. Or some of y'all looking at the other like, yes, yes, huh, I guess. But understand in all four, God's word is, is crystal clear. Let's look at the second, racial justice. God's word is clear on his hatred of racism. Stay with me. He hates it. Genesis 1, 27, that we are, we all, we all, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, wherever you are, wherever you're from, we all are made in his image and have dignity and value. Or look at Acts chapter 10 when he says to, 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 to Peter, I want you to go because there is no distinction between Jew or Gentile. He, he's constantly breaking down walls of division. And then you look at the end of the book in Revelation chapter 7, we see around the throne are all of these nations and, and kinds and, and cultures. God hates racism. You can't read the Bible without seeing it. So what, as we're going to the polls, we, we're, we're, we're considering this. How about the third one, the definition of marriage? God is clear that marriage is between one man and one woman. He's not stuttering here. He's not afraid. Genesis 2.24, he establishes that marriage is between one man and one woman. We see that in, in um, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5 when he's talking about marriage again. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, he's talking about this union between the man and the woman and how man should represent Christ to, to the church. He's, he's very clear on how we defined marriage. So as we're voting, we're considering those things. 
Then how we care for the poor, how we care for the more marginalized, how we care for the foreigner, how we treat the outsider. He's very clear on that. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9 through 10, he's talking about the provision that should be made for the poor. Or in Leviticus 25, 35 through 37, he talks about how we should not pervert justice and how he calls us to help and come alongside the poor, that when we, when, when we give to the poor, we are lending to God. There is this expectation that we are people that serve the poor. So what happens as we look at these issues is we sometimes, and politically, if you look at parties, normally what's happening, one party is doing two of those things well, and the other party is doing two of those things well, or addressing those issues. Let's not say well, addressing those issues. So if that's true, and we believe what God says about those four issues, here's what's happening to the believer. There's tension. Here's what I, don't, here's what I want you to understand. This voting thing isn't just easy. We're not skipping to the voting vote. Oh, yeah, that's really, really clear on how I should vote. If, if we had one super godly anointed pastor running for president, and then we had some heathen, right? Then maybe it'll be really clear on how we should vote. But, but, but recent elections and many of the past elections, you're looking at the Bible and you're looking at the ballot. You're looking at the Bible and you're looking at the ballot. And here's what you're concluding. There's some tension here. So there is no just easy voting. It's all clear. I'm rushing to the post. If we're thinking biblically in a broad sense, so then what do we do? Here's what most of us do. We look at two issues and we champion those issues and we compress the others. We say those two are, are, are important. Clearly, clearly, those, that's the most important issue. Clearly. How could you not see that's the most important issue? So we champion two and we suppress the other two. One of the things I want to I help us see tonight is that God has a bigger agenda than just what we talk about when we talk politics, okay? David Platt has an incredible book that I just, I just ate whole this week. Really, really phenomenal book on voting. And he gives us some questions that we should ask ourselves as we're considering who we should vote for and how we should vote. Listen to these five questions. Are there any concepts uh, consistent with biblical justice being promoted by the part, political party that I oppose? So he's almost asking you to think not just about your party. You may say, Rodney, I've been a Democrat all my life, or I've been a Republican all my life. This is just how we always vote. Man, listen. As a believer, we don't go with the flow. We don't take our cues from culture. We take our cues from God's word. And so maybe one of the things I'm doing now in this sermon is making you uncomfortable about your normal assumptions. Because there's some things we have to consider. Question number two, does that political party show any concern for the vulnerable individuals and the groups? Does that political party demonstrate any desire for fair creation or implementation of laws? Do any of that political party's candidates show evidence of decency and morality and order 
How is that political party trying to promote good or evil? I'll add one. Does that political party align with what God's word says? So there's some things that we have to consider. Now, I gave you the big four, and that's what we always talk about, but there are a host of other issues. And here's what I want us to understand, that two believers can look at the issues and decide one of these issues may be more critical to me from whatever my background is. I want to honor God's word, but in my mind, that issue is really important. And another Christian that's a believer in Jesus Christ can look at that other issue and say, man, that issue is really important. Okay? Want to honor God, want to honor his word, want to honor what he says, but I'm trying to help us to see there are diversities in how we see these issues, and those four issues are not the only four issues. I can read a litany of issues. I'm only going to read five. Taxes. Where y'all at on taxes? Where's God's word on taxes? Well, that we should pay our taxes, right? We should be honorable in our society. When there's taxes, we should pay it. But do we raise taxes? Is that God honoring? Do we lower taxes? Is that what Jesus wants? Some of this stuff is not as clear. Or gun control. Relax. I'm not, li listen. Some of y'all, calm down. Put your, put your stuff away, Gia. Just, just trying to walk through the scriptures here. Gun control. Is God for it or against it? You say, well, Rodney, listen, God said he armed the whole army with guns. And some may say, well, look at Peter. When Peter cut the ear off, Jesus put back on the ear. They say, pick up the Glock. He said, put the ear back. So, so we can argue about a lot of stuff. It's just not as clear, right? Or marijuana use. Where's Jesus on weed? Foreign elections. Climate change. See, some of these issues aren't as clear-cut as the other ones that I've named, but these are also issues that are important to people. So be careful. We are not attaching Christ's name, hear me, to positions he never promoted or denounced. Read that again. Be careful. Be careful that you don't sign his name in forgery on issues. That we are not attaching his name to positions he never promoted or denounced because the result would be we start judging who or what is authentically Christian. And we end up driving a sword of division through God's church. So when you vote, if you voted, if you're planning on voting, if you're voting in person, if you're mailing in your vote, whatever you do, hear me say, this is some hard stuff. But he's calling us to be engaged civically. So maybe my aim tonight is just to help you to be more biblical in your thinking and more thoughtful and intentional in your voting. As we make these hard decisions, it is important for us to weigh our choices based on God's word and the situation around us in the world. Okay? 
and, and different believers will, will weigh those in different ways. Last point and I'm done. Y'all, y'all holding on to the rope? Don't let go of the rope. Some of y'all are, huh? Because you, you mess with one of mine. You, you, so, Rodney, you say you're not subscribing to this party? And my party is Jesus. And I rock with him. And so I go to the box thinking biblically and asking this question, what way can I vote that promotes God's righteousness and restrains evil? Okay? Also, Rodney does not have all this confidence in no man, no way. I think it's silly. And <laughs> I, I got pastor friends, and these are good men. But they riding that Republican train. Or they riding that Democratic train. Or they're riding that independent train. And when they talk about the candidate, they are ascribing. Listen, my... <laughs> My family, we, I've taught my kids this, this quick song, and they're allowed to sing it twice uh, a day. Uh, and the song goes, We lift up our hands to our God, to our God, to him, to him. We ascribe, we ascribe glory and honor and wisdom and strength to our God. That's a mantra for us, okay? Leave me alone. That's my family. But listen to that last part. We ascribe glory and honor, wisdom and strength to our God, not to no Trump or no Biden. They don't get those attributes from me. My attributes come from God. So ultimately, I'm, I'm voting and I'm participating. But you don't have my hope. You don't have my confidence. My confidence is resting in Christ because he's king. That's why I started how I did. Okay. So November 4th. By God's grace, God's given us life, health, strength. We're not promised to see November 4th, so I want to say that. But for, I, I think, let's just say we make it to November 4th. There are times you wake up day after election and you're, you're feeling all kinds of feelings. On November 4th, some of you all will be shouting. You'll be dancing. You'll be really excited. Oh, oh you'll be relieved. Oh, oh finally, what, whatever the case is. Others of you, you may be depressed. If you ain't careful, you'll call out of work. Can't come in today. Stuff going on. So I don't know how you're going to wake on November 4th, but, but as you wake as you turn on to find out the results, here are some things Pastor Rod wants you to remember on November 4th. You may wake up and there may be a sincere fear of anarchy because of the election. You may wake up and there may be a real fear of this is going to be protest for the next 60 days. I want you to remember Jesus has not vacated his throne. I want you to remember this rope that you're holding on to. You may wake up on November 4th 
And you may see that your candidate has made it into office, or you may be upset that he hasn't. But I want you to remember that the power that they will install him with in January, there's a greater power out there than just the power of him being installed as president. There's a power, a real power to transform. There's a real power to change. There's a real power to institute the kind of transformation we are really longing for. And it's not locked in, make America great again, because you can't do that without real repentance. And it's not locked in, rebuild America. It's really locked in that old rugged cross from 2,000 years ago. Oh, I wish somebody loved the gospel like I do, but it's my place of refuge. I understand that because of the gospel, all men are broken and sinful, and that includes Trump and Biden. But there's this other man, that in him there is no sin or guile or transgression. In him there is holiness and righteousness, and this man has paid the ultimate sacrifice. He campaigned on his own righteousness and what he can do to save sinners, and he paid the ultimate price. And when it was time to vote, they voted to kill him, but he didn't respond in anger and respond in vengeance. He responded in love, and that's the guy I'm voting for. On November 4th, Jesus will be there. On November 4th, God the Father will be there. On November 4th, the comfort of the Holy Spirit will be there. Life is not over or don't get too joyful. Listen, in this life, you will have trouble regardless of who wins. But be of good cheer, for he has overcome the world. So I want us to remember as we consider whoever is the newly elected leader. And I'm not saying this don't matter. I understand this campaign is important. I'm not being trifling here, but I am trying to point us somewhere that your soul needs. Because if you rest on what you see, you'll go crazy. So my job as a preacher is to point you somewhere. I'm pointing you. And where I'm pointing you, in him, we can have safety and security and trust and not be rocked and not go into depression and not go too high up into praise. We can trust that this God is at work, whether there is anarchy or, or protest, this God is working. And he's calling me to work, so I got to be somebody as I hold this rope, regardless if the guy I wanted to win wins or not. I got to hold this rope of unity and be able to speak to Republicans and be able to speak to Democrats and speak in a way that's loving and kind and give them real hope. Not so much push my agenda, but I got to be able to give them something that they can hold on to that no political party or, 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 or president can give them. I can't let go of this. Why? I'm not just called to, I want to vote my right. I'm called to be a servant. Jesus calls us to lay down our lives, to pick up our cross and follow him. I got to be concerned, not just with me, but with neighbor. So the true power for real change, real hope, real future, is we think about our children. Rodney, so-and-so, when, what about my kids? Jesus got your kids? He's always kept the remnant. What if it's not just about the comfort and the security of your kids? What if we enter into this great time of testing, but his desire for your kids is to be prophetic and speak the truth of God's word to a culture that doesn't want to hear it? What if we are going through a time of great tribulation and persecution? Be of good cheer, for he has overcome the world. 
Amen. That's all I got. Listen, can I pray for you? If I offended you tonight or on Facebook, I really try to be consistent in my offense of all, so I hope that you are offended equally. Let's stand. Let's pray seriously. We talk about one of our core values as a church is to be this multi-ethnic church. So we got people from here from all parts of the world. And man, we celebrate that. That's awesome. Ethnically, culturally, we want to be diverse. Socioeconomically, we want to be diverse. We want to have people from different stratospheres economically. Is it possible for the church of Jesus Christ to be diverse politically?